Welcome to the podcast of Hobby School. I'm your host, Dulgong, and I'm here with Mr. Alex. Hello, thank you for inviting me on. So today we're going to talk about teacher and student relations. Yeah, good subject. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, first off, tell us about yourself. Um, my background, I was born in Miami, uh, grew up all over the world really, um, uh, lived, moved 19 times so far, um, Mongolia is the most recent move. Uh, I'm here doing research on um, how contemporary shamanism is practiced, particularly in urban settings when you no longer have access to sacred land, uh, and I teach AP literature here. Uh, to a wonderful group of students. Okay, so first question. Oh, game show host, can't forget about that one. Game show host on MNB, oh. yeah. Mm. So first question, did you have any teachers that you liked or disliked when you were a student yeah, in, in general? lots of both. <laughs> um, I, I was fortunate that I had more the further along in my education I got, the more, or the better the, my, the relationships with my teachers became. And that early on I had very little respect and regard for school. Um, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't a particularly star student in high school or middle school. I pretty much dropped out of high school, basically. I, 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 rare, I barely graduated. Um, but there was one teacher in particular, sort of throughout my education. In elementary school, I had a wonderful teacher. In middle school, I had a wonderful teacher. And then in high school, I had a wonderful teacher. And at each juncture, it was somebody who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And then finally, when I got to college, uh, sort of my world opened up or expanded. Um, and I encountered a lot of teachers who suddenly took interest in me succeeding. Largely, those were teachers were in the humanities, and that's pretty much why I gravitated to that field. But mm. on the teachers that I didn't like, I mean, they had good reason probably not to like me. <laughs> I wasn't a good student by any means. But uh, I have one teacher in particular who I remember very vividly one day uh, in math class. Um, she, the school was administering a college entrance test, and uh, I had not shown up to class for you know weeks. I was failing the class. Um, I had probably below a zero, uh, and uh, she and I said I want to take the exam for college entrance, and she said um, no, uh, you're better off taking the community college entrance exam because um, there's no chance that you'll ever go to college. Mm. Uh, and she told me that I remember that right to my face in front of uh, everyone else in the classroom. Wow. Uh, and at that moment, I I think I had sort of a resolve to say, you know what, I'm I'm just going to go to college. I'm going to go to the best college. <laughs> I'm going to prove to you that I I can do it. Um, yeah, and you did. And I did, yeah. <laughs> I did. I eventually went on to it. Well, yeah, Yale's a pretty good school. Yeah. Um, it's, it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get along, but I was fortunate enough to have teachers that believed in me, uh, especially when I didn't believe in myself. Mm. Especially when I didn't believe in myself. Mm. So, in your opinion, what makes students like or dislike some teachers? I think a lot of that... I mean, I, I, I'm by no means an expert in this, but I think a lot of that comes down to discipline. Yeah. Um, schools, a lot of schools, 
are built on such rigid models of discipline. I mean, school uniforms, yeah. cameras in the classroom, arranging the desk by rows. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's it's, uh, it's a structure in which um, students are treated sort of. And I'm not the first to point this out. There have been educational scholars who've you know I'm standing on their shoulders here who treat education as a sort of factory model. You all come in together in the same year. And you all are supposed to leave in the same year as if yeah. you're sorted by your sort of production date in a factory. Yeah. Um, there's little interest, I think, uh, or if there is interest taken from teachers to the to the students, um, it's uh, never met from the sort of administration of the school with a lot of um, uh, embrace, yeah. uh, uh, because it's easy to discipline students. Yeah. It's significantly harder and takes a lot more time to actually understand where they're yeah. coming from, understand their home yeah. life. But now some t- some schools use different different methods. Some do. Yeah. Um, in college, especially professors, you know, all have their own sort of methods. Uh, I was brought up, lucky enough to be brought up in a, um, a structure that sort of just has a sort of blanket term called radical pedagogy, in which Um, we seek to sort of dismantle a lot of the power structures that are uh, occur in um, classrooms. You know, yeah. I never sit behind my desk. Yeah. You know, I never yeah. sit behind the desk. I, I always stand next to the desk. Most of the time I sit in the same seats with the students in the yeah. classroom if I can. Or I arrange my, my desks in a circle or I try to... Because I find that knowledge is generated in a far more uh, healthier And uh, uh, that students engage in, in deeper learning when they are not afraid of their teachers, um, yeah. and they're not afraid of being wrong in front of yeah, their teachers. Yeah. And part of that means teachers have to get sort of on the level of the students and yeah. understand fear, that they're fear evil. is fear is a huge huge part here. And yeah. discipline is is a lot of the discipline that's in schools based on fear. Uh, they try yeah. to make students as afraid as possible for stepping out of line. But to me, uh, I find that genuine learning rarely occurs if students are not able to step out of line. Yeah. And by that, I mean think outside the box. Yeah. Be, be, if students are not trusting enough that they can fail in class, mm. that they can fail in front of their peers, that they can fail in front of their teachers, uh, if that is stripped away, uh, learning becomes extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. Or else I just stand in front of the classroom and pontificate to you. You know, I yeah. profess to you yeah. um, rather than have any sort of uh, deeper engagement with what I think are some really beautiful, subtle, and profound topics mm. that I think could change people's lives. Mm. So from a teacher's point of view, because you're now a teacher, mm. <laughs> point Something of view. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> what makes them like or dislike some students? What makes a teacher dislike yeah, or It's funny because, you know, that's sort of one of those things that never really gets talked about too much in a public area. I mean, teachers are very hush-hush when they discuss students in the, you know, the lunchroom or the break room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and some of that can be very toxic. You yeah. know, for example, what I mean by that is some teachers can really dislike some students based yeah. on things that have happened in the past. And then they sort of um, talk to other teachers about it and everyone sort of just gets on board and they're like, yeah, I really dislike this student. And that happens. Yeah. That happens in every school in the world. Um, But why that happens, I mean, usually it comes down to students refuse to bend to the teacher's whim, yeah. right? Students refuse to do what the teacher wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the best course of action in that sort of instance is not, I, I suppose, again, I'm not an expert here, but I would say that the best course of action in that moment is not, well, let's punish the student until he submits to my will. 
but it's let me find out what uh, this student wants. Let me find yeah. out what this student knows. Let me find out what this student brings to the table and engage that and see yeah. how I can invite him or her into this space in this classroom and make a more meaningful community of learners because everybody has something to com yeah. contribute. So, like, if you were to if you were to teach a group of students, hmm. new stu students, yeah. then how would you find those characteristics? Oh, I that's a good question. Um, that's I have no idea. It's sort of just <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of an organic process. There's no real set of questions I can ask to say. You know, let's sit down and you tell me about your life. Yeah. You know, it's one of those moments where I find a little bit about you piece by piece over the, yeah. over the semester, over the year, or we have coffee, uh, we have lunch, and I, I, this is something I try to do, I make every effort to meet with my students as much as possible outside of yeah. class because the more I get to know them and their personal lives, sort of yeah. in their personal setting, what they're engaged with on a daily basis, the more I can help structure class, but yeah. even beyond me structuring class, the more um, I, I can structure class in a way that students can bring forward some mm. of the experiences that they have in life, some of those meaningful and valuable um, learning experiences that they've already gone through. Uh, I think students are a lot smarter than a lot of people give them credit for mm. <laughs> most, of the, most of the time. Um, so I don't know if there's any set of questions or magic bullet that gets to what a student is thinking. Um, it's a process. But again, going back to that first answer, uh, getting to know students, sort of being on their level, rather mm. than discipline, that takes time. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, teachers, that's probably the one thing they're most hard-pressed for is time. Yeah. Um, it just takes time and effort and commitment. Yeah. And love, it means, it's. and this is the Socratic, I think, yeah. where Phaedrus, this is so clear in Phaedrus, is that it, it, takes, it, it takes an idea of love for yeah. your students. So it's like, grades is one of the, one of the fundamental things of schools. Yeah. Well, besides learning, <laughs> it is now. <laughs> it is now. Besides learning, yeah. So, how does grades affect how teachers feel about certain students? Like, if a A student get gets in trouble, how yeah. will the teacher react? And if a F student gets in trouble, how will the teacher react? Yeah, I think your question points out something that I. I think is so crucial is that grades are sort of toxic to a learning environment yeah. both for students and for teachers mm -hmm. because not only do grades foster a sense of competition yeah. among students yeah. uh, and again you know it's not just grades here it's things like special uniforms if you get all A's um, yeah. it's things like putting your name up on the hallway yeah. it's the posters of students who have gone on to Ivy Leagues these things sort of foster and I'm not saying we shouldn't hold up people who have succeeded and say hey Congratulations, but I am saying that these sorts of things get into the water. It's in the air you breathe, the sense of competition, and it fosters uh, the sense of mistrust. And okay. it fosters, uh, I think it's detrimental to an environment, again, going back to trust, of being able to be wrong in front of your peers. Yeah. Uh, I think grades detract from that. But on the teacher side, which is interesting about your question here, um, I think it fosters an equal sense of competition hmm. because the teachers suddenly feel responsible for the what is measured as success for these yeah. students. Um, and if you give a student a bad grade and you suddenly you know, strip them of their special colored jacket, 
Yeah. Right now, teachers feel guilty about that, yeah. and this is so. So it fosters this toxic environment of competition between students uh, and among teachers, um, yeah. which is which is absolutely yeah. detrimental, I think, to education. Yes. Sometimes it creates a hierarchy. Mm. Absolutely, it creates a hierarchy, um, yeah. and that's again. So you know, talking about those power structures. Um, the yeah, teacher, the classrooms are structured literally in a hierarchical structure. Students sit in rows, and then at the point of the pyramid is the teacher who stands yeah. at the tip of the pyramid. And that, fought, I mean, so, you know, it goes beyond grades. It goes into even the structure of how schools are built in the way that classrooms are set up. Um, and I think all of that, uh, I'm not saying that learning can't happen, uh, but I am saying that the emphasis that the school places on these grades treats education as a pragmatic means to an end. And this is the exact opposite of education to me. Uh, the idea that education must simply serve a pragmatic element that you have to learn these things in order to go forth in the world to get a good job, to get money, to be yeah. successful. Uh, and this is, you know, I'll go, I'll go back, I've, I mentioned Socrates already in Phaedrus, and Phaedrus there's this beautiful passage where Socrates is talking to Phaedrus and he says, look, you can either choose the agora, you can choose the square, you can choose business and public life, um, yeah. or you can choose scola, which is where we get the word school from, which oh. means leisure. And business is ascola, not leisure. So you can choose school, education, or, I mean, it stood in antithesis to sort of business and commercial uh, expertise and success. And I think that's an extraordinarily potent message. Uh, and you see this today across the world with the sort of dismantling of the humanities. People find studying literature worthless, philosophy worthless, art history worthless, because the question is, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to get a job? How are you going to yeah. make money? Yeah. What measure of success is that when it comes to education? Yeah, people tend to go towards the money makers. Yeah, and it makes sense because this is the sort of world that, that is fostered, is that you must, education serves as a purpose, that you must go out and get a job and support these people, yourself, etc. Um, and I, I have work diligently every day in my classes to um, dismantle that idea of education that you must treat it as a means to an end. The beautiful thing about education is that uh, it makes you a better person for you. Uh, it, it, it changes who you are and how you operate in the world every day, yeah. um, regardless of what your economic status is on the other end of school. Yeah. So it's like, how do you encourage people to do stuff? It's like some, some students are very lazy and doesn't mm. do stuff or they don't do stuff because the classes are don't need it yeah like most of your class stuff mm. i try my best to show or i try my best to showcase really i mean education from a teacher's standpoint is always somewhat performative uh, i try to showcase why studying these things like studying greek myths um yeah. is important yeah. how it relates to uh, the construction of our epistemologies, how it relates to where we, under what conditions is knowledge produced, you know. Um, you've heard me ask this question before, uh, how we relate to things like science, how we relate yeah. to things like history. Now these questions to me are so, make up the fabric of our reality, uh, are so fundamental to the fabric of reality. Now if somebody understands that fully and chooses still to say, I'm not interested, um, it's my job like we were talking about with an earlier today with Theseus and the Minotaur, it's my job to be Theseus here. I have to go into the labyrinth and lead the youths away from the Minotaur of ignorance before they're eaten. 
Yeah. Um, I, as to bring up the you know Platonic cave, I descend back into the cave, Katebana, where you go down, um, and it's my, I don't know if I want to say job, but it's my passion and my call. It's my calling, literally a calling in the sense to do this. Um, it's my calling to to go down and help people who are. Um, you know, chained to this wall, looking at looking at shadows of figures who think they understand reality. And I'm not saying I have a firm grasp on it, but I can help lead them out of the cave and just you know, like Theseus, save them from the Minotaur of ignorance. Um, but if somebody truly doesn't want to be saved, you know, Plato talks or Socrates talks about this. They fight you when you try to save them from the cave. They fight you the whole way up. They scratch you. They gnaw at you. Um, they seek to drag you back down there with them, but you cannot give up on them. And this will tie back again to the thing of love. Part of love, and that, in the sense that it's used in Phaedrus, um, in the sense that it's used in the educational context and, and beyond, is that you leave yourself open to the wounds that the beloved will give you, to the mistakes that they're going to make. Uh, but you do not back away from it. Um, so when students choose not to engage in the material, Usually they have a good reason. I don't think anybody just elects to say, I'm willfully going to be ignorant. Usually they have a good reason. Now, whether or not they feel comfortable enough to share that reason, or whether or not we've created an environment in our classrooms where students feel comfortable enough to bring that forward, that's yeah. one question. Um, whether or not they understood the material, whether or not they yeah. felt confident enough to engage the material, that's another question. So there's a whole host of things that I can do and that I do try to do. Um, to increase student participation. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but again, yeah. the, the main thing is that you just can't give up. You have to stay with the trouble. Hmm. You cannot walk away from it. Because if you're the teacher that gave up on the student, then that student will never have the teacher that believed in him. Yeah. And just, you know, I come from that background, the first question you asked me, my teachers gave up on me, except one here, one there. And that, I mean, that saved me. They hmm. didn't walk away from me. So like, Keeping to that answer, like, is it important to have a good teacher and student bond outside of the classroom? Yeah, I would say so. I would say it's crucial. Oh, in my experience, at least, the most amount of learning I ever did was outside the classroom. Hmm. Was doing, you know, field work in college with with some professors, uh, staying with some professors for a certain period of time. Um, uh, people who, you know, professors. You know, they didn't just stand in the front of the classroom and profess. They became tutors, which is the Greek, the guardian of knowledge, right? I mean, mm. these guardians of, of, our, of my knowledge, um, defenders uh, uh, of my future. Um, and the a learning that took place in those moments where we had this deep personal relationship uh, is the stuff that I draw on every day. Even right now speaking to you, these words are my words, but they're also the words of my professors in grad school my professors in my undergrad, uh, and my professors throughout, or my, my teachers throughout uh, elementary, middle, and high school. Uh, so the personal relationship um, for me is absolutely key. Again, and I'll bring this up, uh, because it's a relationship of love. Education is built on a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. If you approach somebody with hatred, with vitriol, with dissatisfaction, with mistrust, mm -hmm. then that person is not going to be willing to uh, 
take chances in yeah. the learning, not going to be willing to fail, not going to be willing to even be right, because what's <laughs> the point? You've already made up your mind about something. So love for me is also partly approaching students with an open mind. And the best way to approach students with an open mind is getting to know them. Mm-hmm. The best way to foster that sense of, of a loving relationship and a trusting relationship is spending time with them outside of a classroom structure that's disciplined, you know, rigid, school uniformed, cameras watched, monitored all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have unstructured space in which that relationship can really be fostered. Mm-hmm. So, final question. Yeah. So, this is the first episode of the podcast, right? Yeah. So, how would Season you. Season premiere. Yeah. <laughs> How would you improve this podcast, in your opinion? Oh, I don't know anything about podcasting. Mm -hmm. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, Good theme music is important. Uh, Good theme music is always that, you know, that sets the tone. It's like music in church, you know, sort of attunes you to to be ready to receive whatever gospel or Holy Spirit or particular tradition that you're engaging in. Um, So good theme music is important. on that end, good closing music is important, but ultimately, um, people are interested in the questions that are being asked and what's being answered. People listen to podcasts, I think, and I'm no you know, scientist on podcast, podcastologist or something, but yeah. people listen to podcasts, I think, to learn things or for a mm. good story. Yeah. Usually those are the two. They either want a good story, they want to be distracted yeah. from, the world, excuse me, from the world, or they want to learn something to improve themselves. So I would say one thing is to know what your mission statement is in this podcast. Yeah. What do you want to do? Are you trying to tell a story? Yeah. Or are you trying to educate people? Or yeah. are you trying to give people the tools to educate themselves? Hmm. Which, again, education <laughs> isn't just about standing and pontificating in the front of the classroom. The best educators, I think, are the ones who give students the tools necessary that they can go forward in life and educate themselves. If a teacher does their job well, mm-hmm. that student will never need a teacher again in their life. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, teacher. Thank you. Good luck with the podcast. I hope um, you know, yeah. the rest of it goes extraordinarily well. I'm sure it will. It's off to an yeah. auspicious start, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs>